Father, once again we ask to bring our attention and focus to your word. That we set aside anything else that's uh, impelling us or drawing us, uh, distracting us or deflecting us. We might hear from you. It is extraordinary every week to be reminded that the creator of the universe cared enough to reveal to us his word. Passed down through generation upon generation to those um, who strive to be faithful to it. May your glory and honor, your worth, your might, your grace be our focus. May we see Jesus and in seeing him know how we might walk behind him and know him better and know you better. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1 and uh, we're going to start in verse 38. So we've already read, uh, you know, this whole interchange. Jesus has finally showed up. And remember that this is happening, uh, John 1, uh, John 1, 35, not 38. Um, but this is all happening on, they call it Bethany beyond the Jordan, um, which means uh, Bethany um, is was a site and it's on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So in what is today the modern country of Jordan um, and... Um, and John is baptizing people. And in verse 35, chapter one, John chapter 1 and verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Um, He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, the son of John or the son of Jonah. Um, You shall be called Kepha, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, 
First question. First question. John is baptizing in Bethany beyond the Jordan. That's down by the Dead Sea on the road to Jerusalem. What are a bunch of Galilean fishermen doing in the Judean wilderness? Because Simon and Andrew, and and Andrew is with another disciple of John, and and it doesn't say the name, so it's probably John, the author of the gospel. He has a tendency to not name himself, although he may just not know who this other person was. Um, Philip and Nathaniel, these are all, they're all Galileans. Now, Galilee is about 80 miles north of Bethany, uh, beyond the Jordan. Why are they there? And, and, and people have argued about this. When you read commentaries, they discuss all this, and maybe we've got the location of Bethany beyond the Jordan wrong, and it doesn't, you know, all, there's all kinds of conversation. I want to I give you kind of a, uh, a, an idea of why they're there. Three times a year, um, in Hebrew called the Shalosh Ragalim, the three pilgrimages, pilgrimages. Three times a year, all Jews were commanded, ordered to journey to Jerusalem, to make an appearance in Jerusalem. The first was Passover. The second was Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. Um, those are both in the spring. And then the last one is Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths. That's in the, the fall. And it's structured around, these, these dates are structured around the agricultural calendar. Um, two in the spring. The first is Passover. The Feast of Weeks, you bring the first fruits, the, the winter barley that's been harvested. You bring it in and you, you make an offering of it. And then you work all summer in your fields and you do your thing. And then at the end of that, kind of the end of the growing season, we have the Feast of Booths, Sukkot. And everybody comes and it's a week long. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it starts about uh, uh, two weeks after uh, the beginning of the year, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Um, and there's seven days, uh, 14th to the 21st, or 15th to the 21st of the month. And then the 22nd is uh, the feast of Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur is, Yom means day. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. It's the day when in the Hebrew calendar they would bring out a lamb. Remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God. They would bring out a lamb and they would lay hands on it, um, putting the sins of the of, of the people on that lamb, and and then they would uh, and then they would do what you do with lambs at temples. The indication seems to be that John is at Bethany beyond the Jordan. And people are making their pilgrimage. And, and Galilean Jews, to avoid Samaria, they would, they would cross the Jordan River into what is today Jordan. They would walk down the eastern bank of the Jordan. And then they would cross at Jericho. And then they would ascend up to Jerusalem. And they would go and they would honor their feast. Now, there were a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of them was that in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was the day that you brought the temple tax. Uh, Flavius Josephus, who is a Jewish historian from the first century, uh, talks about, in his book, Antiquity of the Jews, he talks about how when the um, Babylonian Jews, the Jews who lived in Babylon um, during the same period, would bring the temple tax for Yom Kippur, uh, they had to bring, they had to have a caravan of thousands because of the amount of money that was being brought. 
Um, it was a half shekel tax. It was, it was, it was a pretty substantial amount per, um, per Israelite. And so you would collect it during the year. You know, you kind of put it aside and, and they would store it. And then you'd put it in a strong box and you would have armed men who would then bring the box uh, to Jerusalem. Um, in fact, this, this actually figures, this doesn't have anything to do with the message, this is a great story. So this figures into this amazing story about how, how the Jews then managed to mess with the Romans. Um, after AD 70, uh, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, but they were required to pay the temple tax to the Romans, and then that money was taken to a Roman temple in Rome, uh, the Temple of Jupiter. Amazingly, it was extraordinary. Every single year, that offering got stolen. They just, it was weird. Bandits knew when it was coming. And they would just constantly rob the, the, the thing. And they didn't have, the Jews didn't have an offering for the Romans. Sorry, it got stolen. You know, and you kind of look at it and you go, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, it got stolen by my cousin Bill, um, who then gave it back to me because they didn't want to pay for this pagan temple. Anyway, so what seems to be happening here is that this is the feast um, they're, they're headed to Jerusalem for uh, the Feast of Booths, Sukkot. And they come down the Jordan Valley and they have their offerings, they have their, um, their temple tax with them, and so they travel in a group. Uh, and Simon, um, Simon Peter, we think was the oldest of the disciples and possibly the head of a household of several of the disciples, who may have been his cousins, uh, I mean, one was his brother, but then there's, there seems to be the sense that there was a, there was a kind of a, a familial relationship amongst them. And so he is probably leading this group, this caravan coming down the Transjordan, and they're going to cross the Jordan River, and John the Baptist is standing there, and probably what happened, these are not full-time disciples of, of John, but what probably happened is at one point in their lives, they had encountered John, and they had taken John's baptism, and when their season, when their fishing season was over, they would go down and they would join with John and, and, his, and they would learn from him. And so they're coming down the, Transjordan, the, down the Jordan Valley and they're getting ready to cross and John is there and John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now knowing that they're a week away or a week and change away from the Day of Atonement, this is resonating with them, this, this idea. And so the next day, when John is standing there, and I want to remind you, it doesn't say that John was standing at the river. The indication seems to be that they're headed toward Jerusalem, and they kind of get to the end of the day, and John is kind of standing there. We find out that it's the 10th hour, so it's getting toward the end of the day. He's standing there with two of his disciples, and he says again, Behold the Lamb of God. And so they follow Jesus. John stops. He's not going to Jerusalem. He's not going to make the pilgrimage. Right? John stops. He's staying in the wilderness. Um, and there's a whole other thing that's going on there. But they start to follow Jesus. Now, I love that they decide to follow Jesus. By the way, the Greek word for follow is the word acolyte. Um, if you hear the word acolyte, um, disciples follow a teacher. And what happens here is a a very traditional way of someone becoming a disciple of a teacher, of a rabbi. Jesus is walking, they're following, and he turns around to them, he says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? John uses a very peculiar Greek word here 
Um, he's indicating uh, what, 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 is, what are you after? Like, where are you going long term? He's not just saying, what are you looking for? Like, I, I lost my keys. What are you looking for? I lost my keys. All right, but what are you seeking? What are you, where, where are you going with this? Where is your journey going to take you? You're going to follow me. And they say to him, Rabbi, Ravi. All right? And John has to translate that. John has to translate three Hebrew words in this narrative, which tells us a lot about his audience, that his audience doesn't understand Hebrew. They don't know what a Ravi is, a Rabbi. Um, they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, I made a joke about this last week, all right? that this is the first thing they come up with. They're confronted. John the Baptist, you know, covered in goat hair, eating locusts and honey, says, behold the Lamb of God. And you just picture Andrew and this other disciple following Jesus going, what should we say to him? What do you think? What should we say? You know, what should we, if he ever turns around, what should we say? And he turns around and they say, where are you staying? Like, this is their first question. But this is actually, this is actually very, very, uh, it, it's a gloss on the way that you would become a disciple of a rabbi, which was that when you were choosing to abandon your life, your livelihood, your, your vocation, and follow a rabbi and become one of his disciples, you had to ask him where he was staying because that was a way of signaling you were ready to go with him. If you were a part-time disciple, when the rabbi was done teaching, you went home. But if you were deciding to be a full-time disciple, the question was, where are you staying? And if the rabbi didn't want to take you as a disciple, he would say, go home. I mean, profound, right? And hopefully you took the hint. Right? This, by the way, and uh, this is just for, you can put this aside, it's the reason that Jesus doesn't want to send the, the, the crowd away. When he feeds the 5,000, his disciples ask him, why don't you send them home? Why don't you send them to go get food? Why don't you send them away? And Jesus won't send them away. Because you don't send your disciples away. You don't send your followers away. You provide for them. And, and then Jesus does that miraculously. Um, but they say to him, where are you staying? Um, and he says, "Okay, come, and you will say. Now you will see. Now I, I can't confirm this. I, I don't know for sure that this is what happens, but I think that he goes to the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. But but I, I don't I don't know for sure. He goes Bethany to Bethany. All right, so Bethany beyond the river to the Bethany where uh, his friend Lazarus lives, um, the guy that he'll raise from the dead in chapter 11." Um, I can't confirm that. It's not in the text. I just kind of have a feeling that was kind of his his stopping point. And he says, come and see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for that day. Um, And then, I mean, you get this idea. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. And he goes, now, so here's this deal. Remember, this is a group. This is a group of people all moving. And John has stopped. And now they're following Jesus. And Jesus tells them that they can stay with him. And then Andrew goes, great. And he goes to find his brother, Simon. So he goes and finds Simon. And like I said, Simon is an older guy. All right. He goes and finds Simon. He says, Simon, now look at the trans- Look at what he says. The first time that they talk to Jesus, what do they call him? Rabbi. All right. Ravi. Teacher. Instructor. 
But when he goes to find Simon, he says, Simon, in verse 31, 41, he went found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Okay? Um, so we have this, this moment. He says, Andrew, younger brother, goes and finds Simon. And he says, Simon, he says, we found the Messiah. And Peter, being Peter, um, I just imagine goes, okay, fine, whatever. Show me this Messiah. And when he gets there, he comes to see Jesus. And Jesus says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Kepha. And people pronounce this as Cephas. Um, it's it's Kepha. Um, Kepha means stone or rock and it translates as petros or peter into greek this is the third hebrew word we've got we got ravi he says it's an instructor or teacher is then we get messiah it's anointed one or, or christ christos and then uh, we have this third one kipha which means peter it's actually aramaic um this is interesting, and we could get into this, but I'm not going to get into it. This is actually different from the way that other Gospels uh, have Jesus giving Simon this name, Peter. Um, with them, it happens in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Um, I happen to actually think that Jesus met Simon, called him Kepha, and keeps doing it. All right? Um, because I think Simon had trouble understanding that he was meant to be the rock. I think Simon struggles with this. And so Jesus keeps saying to him, I call you rock. And Simon goes, okay. And then Jesus does it again. I call you rock until finally he gets it. Um, then Then the next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee in verse 43. So we have to have this sense that they went to Jerusalem, they did their thing, and now he's going to go to Galilee. And and what's happening here? Um, He found Philip, um, and he said to him, follow me. So Jesus wakes up next day. He does whatever he does. He says, okay, I'm going home. I'm going home to Galilee. Um, He dropped off the the offering or whatever he had to do. He's done. And he says to the disciples, we're going to go to Galilee. Now this adds some complication if he hasn't fulfilled the seven days or whatever he's doing. Um, by the way, in John's gospel, there are all kinds of Jewish feasts. Jesus is almost always in Jerusalem for a feast of some kind. It's this one or the Feast of Booths or Hanukkah or Passover. He's just always, he's always in Jerusalem. In fact, John, the gospel of John, there's only uh, really two moments where Jesus is in Galilee, which is where he's from, which is a marriage supper, which is in chapter two, um, and then chapter six and seven. Other than that, he's always around Jerusalem somewhere, which is very different from the other three gospels. The other three gospels focus on Galilee. In fact, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem at all until he's ready to be crucified. Um, so we, John's got a very different perspective, a different set of stories. Um, and that's why I think that the, the, the disciple that's with, um, that's with Andrew is John. He knows the stories. He would have been a young man at the time. And he says to Philip, he says, follow me. And Philip is going that way anyway. Text says he was from Bethsaida, the the town of of Peter and Andrew. And he goes, okay. (laughs) And then Philip goes and finds Nathanael. Now look at the third description. He says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. So here's yet another description of Jesus. He's rabbi. 
He's Messiah or Christ. He's the one that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, are about. And Nathaniel is the first person to say, what? He knows who Jesus is. He says, Jesus, Jesus is from Nazareth. I mean, what good thing could possibly come from Nazareth? Now, why the judgment? Why the judgment? Uh, Nazareth it was a, a small town. Okay, It's a small town, small Jewish town, in the midst of an area that was mostly now occupied by Gentiles. Um, the, the Romans had built a city uh, called Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, that's probably where, Je- where Jesus' father, Joseph, um, worked as a carpenter or an artisan. He was probably involved in the construction of that city. Um, although he made the word carpenter, we read the word carpenter, it could also be translated as somebody, um, especially in Galilee, could be somebody that makes boats. Um, so Jesus' Jesus's father could have been a boat maker. There's a lot of things we don't know about Joseph. We don't know exactly um, what is meant by the word that's used there. Um, but he's some kind of artisan. He works there, and the Romans had kind of taken over. And Nazareth was a city that was in cahoots with the Romans. Now that'll blow your perception of Jesus all up. They worked for the Romans. That's why Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? How could this bum from that town amount to anything? He's got such a strong opinion that Jesus manages to get past with one statement. Nathaniel's like, nothing good's going to ever come out of Nazareth, right? Philip says to him, come and see. Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed. Now, this is, this is rhetorically or, or, or structure-wise when you're reading John. This is one of the genius things that John does. And I'm just going to give this. This is, this is like for the, the guys that really get nerdy about this stuff. How did John the Baptist introduce Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God. Now Nathaniel comes along, all puffed up with his own Israelite nature, all puffed up with his religious integrity. He's going to tell this Nazarite, he's going to tell him what to do. And Jesus says, behold. You don't think anybody else heard Jesus do that? All right. Jesus goes, John the Baptist just said, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, an Israelite indeed. I love Jesus' sense of humor. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. He said of him, Behold, an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. Literally, there is, there's no way he could possibly misunderstand the situation. There is no way that this guy could have possibly been biased in his evaluation of me. And Nathanael goes, Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And Nathaniel said to him, I love it. Behold, an Israelite, in whom there is no guile. Ah, how do you know me? Nathaniel doesn't, there's not even a, an ounce of false humility in Nathaniel. It's not like, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I've lied once or twice, you know. He's like, oh, you know me? So Nathaniel knows Nazareth, but he doesn't know Jesus. Jesus knows Nathaniel. He knows exactly how to push Nathaniel's buttons. And before 
Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this is what I want to know. What was Nathaniel doing under that fig tree? Because when Jesus says that, Nathaniel goes, oh. I mean, it's not like fig trees were rare. I mean, you might as well have said, ah, oh, you know, when you were in the yard, I saw you. I mean, th- this is so generic. What was Nathaniel doing? And John doesn't tell us. But you get the feeling that John knew. Like John knew what Nathaniel was doing. He was messing around or he was betting or he was, I don't know what he was doing. Um, he was on DraftKings. I don't know what he was doing. But, but Nathaniel was doing something under the fig tree that nobody else had seen him do. I mean, maybe he was taking a nap. I don't know what he was doing. But Jesus says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him. Now again, remember, I mentioned that behold thing. Look at how John brackets stuff. So the first thing the disciples say, what do they call him? They call Jesus Rabbi. So here's Nathaniel at the same point of his conversation. He's opposed to Jesus. Then Jesus asks him this question. Then he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. That's all it took. Wow. I saw you under a fig tree. Son of God. One has to wonder Nathaniel's thought process here. Um, the indication, though, that John seems to have is that when these people encounter Jesus, they immediately have a feeling of who he is. There is a, so they can say all they want when they're not in his presence. Remember we talked about it last week, that our job is to open the door and let Jesus show up and see what happens? Because when Jesus shows up, Nathaniel, uh, 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 Philip goes to find Nathaniel. He says, we found the one. We found him. Nathaniel goes, nah. Nath- Philip says, just come and see. Just let me open the door. And when, Philip wa- when Nathaniel walks, walks through the door and Jesus starts talking to him, immediately Nathaniel changes. That doesn't happen for everybody. And by the way, this is not, I want to make a very short, strong, this is not that they understood who Jesus was in, in its entirety. The disciples did not really understand who Jesus was until his death, burial, and resurrection. It isn't until his resurrection that they finally all light dawns on marble head and it finally clicks in that what they, meant, what they thought Son of God meant and what Jesus meant by Son of God were a little different. When Jesus said, I'm going to die and be buried and raised again, for some reason that didn't quite connect with them. They, they, weren't, they were like, yeah, okay, Jesus, whatever, whatever. So they're still on their journey. This is just the beginning of their journey. But they're starting at Jesus is a good teacher. Then we get to Jesus being the Messiah. We get to Jesus being the fulfiller of the law. And now we get Nathaniel saying, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And this is another moment where John so masterfully brings the Gentile world and the Jewish world together at the feet of Jesus because Caesar was the son of God, Philidivus, all right? And David was the king of Israel. So the prophesied, the, the, the ruler of the world, the Roman world, and the ruler of God's people one person, Jesus. Because remember, the church is still trying to sort out. When John is writing this gospel, the church is still trying to sort out who's a Jew, who's a Greek, who's a Roman, how do we fit together? 
And some of them have gotten married. Now they get kids that are part Jewish and part Roman. And do we circumcise them? Do we feed them meat? Are they allowed to eat kosher? They're trying to sort all of these questions out. And when John writes his gospel, he just puts in, when Nathaniel saw Jesus, he recognized the hope of the Gentiles and the hope of the Israelites, one person. I told you guys, John's really good at writing this stuff. And Jesus answered him again, Jesus' edge. Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. He says, you don't even know what you've just gotten yourself into. Don't you wish, you know, to some extent, somehow, you had been warned about what you'd gotten yourself into when you became a Christian? Like, like you start with, it's like, it's like, well, you know, you want to, don't you want to, I, I, I don't know whether you guys dealt with this. I dealt with it because of the age that I was growing in. Don't you want to go to heaven? You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven, right? Don't you want your sins forgiven? Well, yeah, I want my sins forgiven. Oh, and by the way, uh, I'm going to make you a pastor. Nope, 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 nope. I'll go to hell. It's okay. Nope, 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 nope. Don't want that complication. I want to live a nice selfish life. I want to do my own thing. It's fine. It's fine for me to kind of, you know, join with the Jesus thing as long as it's on the outside. But, you know, I don't want to. And you get kind of this bait and switch. It's like, did I get, like, somebody offered to me this kind of eternal hope. And then they went, oh, by the way, you've got to take these classes and be a part of Bible study and show up to church every Sunday. And you got to, you know, there's there's a dress code and, and you got to smell a certain way. And they, this nasty <laughs> grape juice and bread. And I don't know what's going on. Right? Rob knows. It is. Finally, somebody figured it out. But the truth is, see, and this is one of the reasons I, I think we need to be completely honest about what it means to be a Christian. I think we need to be completely honest because people will latch on to any hope any idea that, that might get them out of, out of their current situation. Man, oh, you know, well, if I become a Christian, suddenly all my domestic problems are going to go away. I'm going to become a Christian. Not going to happen. Oh, I'm going to become a Christian. Suddenly I'm going to have a peace, feeling of peace and zen, and I'm just going to float through the world. It's going to be amazing. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know, the, the, you know oh, as I, I become a Christian, and just all my problems part like the Red Sea, and I just journey into the Promised Land. Not going to happen. The road of following Christ is difficult. Jesus repeatedly says it's like taking up a cross, literally like taking up the, the, the device of our own execution. You get what Jesus means when he says that? When you wear a cross, when you put a cross on as a Christian, you are saying, you, are, you should be saying, I am taking on myself the death of all that is me so that Christ might live through me. Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 2. He makes a big point about that. So these guys, Andrew, the other disciple, Philip, Peter, Simon, Nathaniel, do they really know what they're getting into? I I don't think they do. And I think John's making that point on purpose. 
And in verse 51, he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus saying to Nathanael, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is glossing Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 in the midst of a passage about God's judgment on the nations. He's saying, you're about to get in for something. So what does Jesus ask us to do? At the beginning of our journey or at the end of our journey, he just says, follow me. The safest place we could possibly be is as close as we can possibly get to Jesus. Now the crazy thing is, he is marching, the entire book of John, he is marching toward his crucifixion. But he says, follow me. He calls us to a journey. He calls us to a path. And there are decisions we have to make on that journey. There are decisions that you have to make on that path. Just like any path, any journey, any, anything that you're doing, you have to make choices along the way. Uh, my daughter graduates high school, and we were reflecting on... Um, a, how awesome her, her speech was at her honors banquet thing um, on Thursday night. She, she killed it. Um, it's like afterwards I said to my wife, I was like, it's like one of them's father talks for a living. Um, <laughs> but we're talking about she's going to go to Liberty University. She's got her whole plan laid out. She's, she's going to go to the School of Engineering or the School of Business, and she's going to get uh, IT, uh, uh, Bachelor of Science in, in Video Game Design. And at first, when she first told me that, I laughed. And then I looked up how much video games make every year. And then I cheered. I was like, yay! My daughter might actually have a job that pays for her student loans. Um, but you know what? As she walks that path that she believes that God's called her to right now, there's going to be decisions and choices and forks. And, and, and those are going to be tough decisions. They're going to be tough roads that sometimes we have to take and you know when we're following jesus we we get in our mind that if we follow jesus the path is always going to be clear there's not going to be any obstacles despite what the bible says about stumbling blocks and and the fact that it is difficult to follow jesus we we kind of get in our mind that the easiest path should be the one that takes us to follow jesus i think by the way that's the reason that john in the book of first john john says we are in the light as he is in the light. He said, the way that I follow Jesus is I'm in the dark and Jesus got a lantern and I just stay as close as I possibly can to the guy with the lantern. Because if I get away from him, I'm going to be lost in the darkness. I'm not going to know where I'm going. Jesus simply calls us to follow. And if we're focused on following Jesus... If we're focused on journeying with him and those who are journeying with him. And, and don't you think about the journey language that's built into this text. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He meets John. John hands his disciples off. They're gathering people. Jesus' group is growing and growing and growing as people are coming and asking questions and nobody really has all the answers. And half the time, they're still sitting there going, where are we going? What are we doing? In John chapter 4, he, I mean, John 2, he takes them to a wedding, 
All right. John chapter 3, he leaves them and he goes and talks to a rabbi. John chapter 4, he takes them through Samaria, the very place they're not supposed to be. Sometimes they're in the temple courtyard. He's healing people and not telling them that he's doing it. So then he's got people angry at him. They're trying to figure out what Jesus is saying. Just follow me. It may not always make sense, but it's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your walk. Whether, whether you're a, 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 you'd say, absolutely, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I made a decision, I'm walking with him. Or you're still on the other side of this, kind of processing it, going, I'm not sure how this is going. And you're kind of walking along, kind of keeping a, an eye on this situation, but trying to figure out what's going on. Or maybe you, you've come to a place where you're a Christian, but you've got a really cynical view of those around you because you've seen other Christians fail, you've seen other Christians fall. So you're kind of like, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm walking, but I'm, I'm just kind of keeping an eye on everybody else, making sure that they're... Wherever we are, let me challenge you with this. I'll give you a big, the big idea here. All right? Don't worry about in and out worry about toward or away from. Don't, don't worry about every time you stumble, you're like, oh no, I stumbled, I failed, maybe I'm not good enough. Or, or I don't know, don't worry about all that stuff. Toward Jesus. Always toward Jesus. Always walking toward Jesus. Always going after Him. Always following Him. Always seeking after Him. You, when, because when we take our focus off of following Jesus, when we take our focus off of where the one who's leading the path, the one who's got the light, the one who calls us to follow Him, when we lose track of where He is, then we start to go away. And it's not a matter of in or out. It's a matter of toward or away from. Jesus will encounter some really, really religious people in the book of John who are flying away from him at light speed. And then he will encounter some absolutely despicable, horrible people who are stumbling and crawling toward him. It doesn't matter how you get toward him. Just get toward him. It doesn't matter how you follow Some of you are following Cadillacs. Some of you are on scooters. Some of us are on our knees. Some of us are on our feet. Some of us are on bikes. Some of us are being carried by others because we can't carry ourselves. But be following Jesus. You say, but what happens if I stumble? Stumble forward. Get up. Keep going. But what happens if I fail? Fail forward. And keep following. What happens if I can't get up? Find a brother or sister who's following him and ask them to drag you. But keep going toward Jesus. My brothers and sisters, that is the meaning of being a Christian. It's our focus is toward Jesus. It is is our, our dedication to Him as leader, master, savior, redeemer, Lord, Whatever title you want to put, moving toward Him, following Him wherever He takes us. Would you join me in a word of prayer?
Father, wherever we are on the journey, turn our eyes to Jesus. And Jesus, as we follow you, help us. Send the people into our lives who can lift us up, who can ask us the questions, who can drag us and say, come and see. And show us the moments and the relationships where we can invite others and and open the door for them to follow Him. All things for Him. When we stumble, help us to get up. When we fall, help us to see so we can get back on the path. Always to Him. Holy Spirit, give us the power, the energy, the drive. Give us the breath to keep following. To follow and follow and follow. As He sorts out all that we are and should be. We pray this in Your name, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.